Welcome to the podcast where heavy industrial industries meet the venture capital ecosystem, interviewing both thought-leading investors and pioneering founders to better understand the opportunities and challenges that lie ahead for digital industrial innovation. Your host is Ty Finley, and this is the Heavy Hitters Podcast. Sophie Purdom joins us today from New York. Sophie is the founder of Climate Tech VC, a premier newsletter focused on climate innovation with over 25,000 subscribers and is an active early stage investor supporting climate tech founders. She has spent her entire career in climate, first starting and launching the Brown University Sustainable Investment Fund, followed by a few years in consulting at Bain & Co., and most recently helped start an agricultural technology venture, Kula Bio. Sophie is also a published author with the book she co-authored entitled Sustainable Investing, Revolutions in Theory and Practice. And I'm also proud to say she's my fellow alumni in the Operator Emerging VC Manager Program. She's invested in numerous climate tech innovators, including Remora, Sinai Technologies, and iGen as some examples. Sophie, uh, this topic of climate and sustainability within industrial legacy industries is more topical now than ever, and I've really been wanting to chat about this for you, with you for a while, so thanks for making time and jumping on the heavy hitters. So excited to be here. Let's do some hitting. <laughs> All right, some hitting right off the bat. First hit, uh, I always give short snippets of people's backgrounds, but get, give us the color commentary on the background that led you into this world of media content meets venture investing, specifically in climate tech. Yeah, it's funny to hear it described like that, right? Because uh, I think I've just been heads down working on climate in air quotes for my whole career. And interestingly, that unexpectedly coalesced around climate and communication and now climate communication and deploying capital into into early stage companies. So there's probably many ways of pulling threads on that story, but um to keep with the theme of building and, and climate from the early days. I, you know, I'm, I'm British. You probably can't hear it so much anymore through the headphones, through the podcast, but um, I was born in a super rural part of, uh, of England. I should probably be a cow farmer or something like that. And um, made, made the way over when I was uh, pretty young to Massachusetts. And we, my family and I ran a business together. Um, so, you know, working at the company, was very much a part of my childhood and imbued the immigrant hustle and entrepreneurial grit aspect, like pretty, pretty darn deep. Um, and I've always been on the lookout for how to build, um, and also always on the lookout for that British countryside, run around the hay bales, kind of pick berries off the side of the road vibe. So Somehow that's landed me in climate tech venture capital, but um, lots of pieces along the way, you know, uh, wearing the policy hat, helping set up um, an ESG fund back when ESG was not an attractive term and definitely not a popular one like it is today. It seems like all assets are hypothetically ESG at this point. We can talk more about that later. Um, and uh, and trying my hand as a operator in this space, getting a company that was more of a, you know, a technology or a science project out of the lab and, and into the world and raising venture for the very first time for me alongside that really, you know, caught the bug there and um, now want to play an enabling role as this industry, as this theme, as this, you know, kind of um, sector takes off and feel very lucky to get to communicate about that through 
platforms originally like the um, like courses or, or the book or um, speaking and now through this platform climate tech VC, which there's an incredible team behind C2BC and have a co-founder and we're proud to be able to communicate directly into the inbox twice a week of now 25,000 operators, investors, and folks in corporate or government positions that want to tune in and learn about what's happening at the intersection of climate and innovation. Um, and that puts me in the privileged position of being able to meet some of those founders kind of at day zero and now figuring out how to support them through you know, deploying some of the capital that we control into those companies um, and connecting them back to the ecosystem as it grows. So it's a real pleasure. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to say you're communicating clearly and effectively is the understatement when you have 25,000 subscribers. I, I get often get times uh, or often get uh, newsletters sent my way and or content specifically from uh, CTVC. So amazing what you've pulled together there from a community perspective as well. Because uh, the the story only needs to get told more and more clearly as we uh, we see the impact that it's having. So, it, I did want to just ask: Was there any origin story? You know, a lot of folks in our ecosystem, right? Maybe think about content or launching content to tell their part of the story. Was there any interesting origin story of, of why you started the 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 newsletter as you now get active and start investing also behind some of those founders you're meeting through it? It's actually quite the reverse. So the content came first, and the investing came second which is neat and organic. Um, also quite point in time. And also because um, I needed to earn the right, or I feel as if I needed to earn the right to deploy the capital. I'm not, I hardly feel like a paycheck venture capitalist or like I was born and put on this earth to be a VC. Uh, I have um, earned the right, I guess, to be in this very privileged position. And the way that I've done that is by walking the walk as a founder and, you know, uh, learning very deeply through all sorts of different avenues around climate, my full career, and then by sharing openly and being really vulnerable and um, uh, provocative in some ways and trying to openly, clearly communicate how the, where the field is going. And then reticently <laughs> recognizing that there were actual additive gaps in the market for a new fund structure and reticently kind of realizing that that was a role that I could and that I should play. So that's, that's how I got here. This wasn't wanting to be a VC and then setting up a, you know, content channel to, to um, build community around that so much as the community pulling all of this forward. We'll love it. Well, the snowball effect is in full full force here. Well, let's just dive into the conversation here with the first question. I, I'm not kidding. I'm asked weekly aligned to this podcast focus on digital industrial innovation. Uh, so we've got these words out here now. We've got climate tech, clean tech, ESG, sustainability, yeah. decarbonization, energy transition, et cetera, et cetera, descriptors that are all getting massive amounts of attention and will equally have a massive impact on society over time. That said, and in my opinion, the, the definitions have really all seemed to blur together. And I'm often asked mm -hmm. the question, does industrial innovation overlap at all with clean tech? And, you know, I'll often take a pause and I'll respond, well, yes, of course, as construction tech, removing construction waste, one of the largest ESG problems globally, logistics tech, optimizing trains, planes, and automobiles, routing and matching, et cetera, so they travel less and emit, emit less CO2 is squarely aligned with climate change. And certainly industry 4.0 tech, advancing digital production and manufacturing capabilities, 
directly decreases carbon footprint and gas house, greenhouse emissions, et cetera, of our industrial complex. So all squarely advancing the broader environmental cause if I was to dumb it down. So the question with my buildup there is twofold. How do you define climate tech and where it starts and stops? And how do you tie all these disparate descriptors and ecosystems together under a common thread of global environment good, if you even think that's possible? Mm, well said, and those examples are very strong. Um, um, you listed all of the, you know, all of the catchphrases at the beginning of that ESG, like impact, sustainable investing, climate tech, clean tech, etc. Um, and I'll say by my my latest thinking on this is that all of those terms fit under a broad umbrella of quote sustainable investing, and within that there's at least you know seven or so tribes. Um, think they fall somewhere on the spectrum from returns oriented to pure impact orientation with massive uh, differences in the weighting between that, but still all under the sustainable investing approach. Um, I increasingly think that ESG or environmental social governance is less a way of investing and it's more a um, we need, we should come up with a good word for this here, but it's a way of essentially like managing or operating a business. Um, so it's a set of principles, um, uh, independent from the, the quote impact of a business's output. So let's give an example and hopefully I won't get, I don't know deleted from Twitter by Elon as a result of using Tesla as an example here, but Tesla produces, you know, electric vehicles that are direct replacement for internal combustion engines. I'm sure there's some special ways you could look at the battery and supply chain impacts, et cetera, et cetera. But let's just say that's a kind of black or white example of positive impact on uh, greenhouse gases from Tesla existing. However, you know, like check mark on the impact side, kind of question mark on the ESG side of governance practices, you know, um, hiring, firing, how do you run the factories, uh, uh, um, et cetera. So ESG, kind of a question mark, impact, for sure, a massive check mark. Like, you know, the flip side could be maybe there's a extremely well-run, you know, heavy polluting company. They meet the criteria on, um, you know, internal operations from an ESG perspective, but their output is inherently polluting. So that would be the mismatch example. It's something I'm toying with, especially as folks, uh, folks meaning, you know, asset allocators, asset managers, and companies alike, um, get much deeper on the quote impact reporting side of the house and the ESG reporting. We're noticing that there's this division between ESG performance and impact performance. So back to your original question of what's climate tech um i think climate is a is a theme as opposed to an industry as opposed to a set of you know protocols by which you operate a business um uh you know it's easier to say almost like what climate tech isn't <laughs> but we see it as sitting under seven industry sectors with we've got we track about 80 or so sub industries underneath these, but I'll give you the seven for these of uh, numbers here. We've got energy, right? So think like the electrons that power us, everything from energy storage to novel energy generation, nuclear, wind, solar, hydropower, et cetera, HVAC energy efficiency. Then we have mobility. 
batteries, battery recycling, you know, micromobility, et cetera. We've got industrial. I think that will probably be the focus of uh, most of this podcast if I had to fathom a guess, <laughs> but mining, robotics, industrial materials, steel, cement, fuels, chemicals, et cetera. Climate risk, climate data. So drones, monitoring, resilience, air pollution, et cetera. Carbon, think carbon removal, carbon offsetting, carbon tracking and accounting. And then we've got food and water, massive, massive bucket, one near and dear to my heart with Kula Bio. That includes all ag tech, but also brands like alternative protein brands, vertical farming, water, food waste. And then we've got this consumer bucket that's, you know, more circular economy, um, what you do with your personal finances and ESG investing, some uh, consumer facing recycling, sustainable packaging, et cetera. So um, it's kind of, to be honest, we're grappling with the definition ourselves. And uh, one of the things I'm proud of with Climate Tech DC is we always suggest an answer. I worked at Bain for a bit, so I'm a man recovering management consultant. We have an answer first, right? But we're totally fine to adapt that and evolve um, as our readers kind of posit novel structures. So we see seven sectors right now. We see it as a theme, um, but this framework is built bottoms up from all of the deal activity that we track. So we've tracked uh, every climate tech fundraise for the past um, over two years at this point. And that's how we built this framework from, from bottoms up as opposed to kind of, you know, top down or how, how folks have seen it done in the past. Yeah. Well, it's super thoughtful. And, and I wish, you know, I, I would just let this podcast run and we could go through the other 80 subsectors, but maybe I'll, I'll have to ask <laughs> Sophie, if, if, have you guys put out a post yet with the seven main categories with the 80 subcategories underneath it? Has that come out yet? You know, you are preempting exactly what we're working on. So we're very we're open with the seven with the seven sectors, and we've actually listed out a whole bunch of those um, subsectors in our. We put out, um, I guess, uh, you know, every six months a uh, deal digest, mm -hmm. and so in that we list out what goes underneath it. But you're spot on that um, we're going to spend the next call it month or so updating updating this categorization and then we'll release that hopefully in mid-may or so great well you know it's still it is a fluid discussion and and certainly um putting frameworks around it helping folks you know figure out their own definitions i, I think you guys are leading the pack and i can't wait to see that because the thoughtfulness between even the lead-in conversation of the sustainable impact you made versus how you're running your business in an ESG fashion uh, is something else I want to noodle on a lot. I think I think that's powerful. And, and, and maybe what I'd segue that first question into, really topical news here, right? Uh, just in March, the SEC and Chairman Gensler made major news, proposing some new rules to standardize and enhance climate-related disclosures for investors. So to me, clearly the SEC has also had enough of these blurry buzzwords and, and people promising one thing in marketing materials versus actually quantifying any metrics associated to those claims. So would you mind first kind of schooling our audience up about some of the highlights of what information the SEC is now looking to be disclosed for investors? And I'd love your take generally if you think these proposals were either spot on, too stringent, not far enough, or however you'd frame it in from a, a regulatory perspective since you, you have spent your entire career in this. Sure. Yeah. Happy to go over this. And then I'd say, you know, um, lots and lots of deep thought has been put into this, particularly from folks that go deep on on the policy side. So worth, we'll do the overview. And then if you're really excited about it, go dig in from folks like 
I don't know, EDF or WRI or Rocky Mountain Institute, where they go, they go mm -hmm. deep on analyzing this. Um, so overview is SEC, uh, which, as we know, has historically regulated financial disclosures, has been hemming and hawing for a while about whether or not climate risk counts as a essentially financial risk. And um, there's been interesting uh, politics <laughs> happening with folks getting hired and fired based explicitly along their standing on this question. Um, uh, including most recently many oddly female uh, appointees not making it through the final ringer because of their stance on being pro climate as a financial risk, which is just an interesting, interesting background. Always get to weave a yarn here. So what's actually happening is um, the SEC is now basing their ruling on the around the TCFD framework, which is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which is the go-to voluntary climate disclosure standard for investors and companies. And what that means is companies are now, you know, uh, being made to disclose their scope one and scope two emissions. And some companies are required to disclose the much more complex scope three emissions. Um, and I guess reason for all of this is this finally helps bring the U.S. up closer in line with uh, 30 or so countries that have already taken action to mandate climate risk disclosures. Gotcha. And in general strokes here, you know, this has been building for a while. Uh, as you mentioned, the SEC is now latching on to, you know, material disclosures is something that investors are absolutely aware of and important information and climate is going to be a part of that now as if these regulations go, th go through. Do you think it, it's right where it needs to be? Do you think it's going to be a little stringent and we'll have to work through it or, or not enough? Did, did you have a, a heat check on, on when you first read it? Um, honestly, we put out a piece on our expectations of what would be released in mm -hmm. the announcement. The, you know, we published really early in the morning on Mondays, meaning we write it very late at night on Sundays. <laughs> um, <laughs> and our looking glass uh, was pretty spot on of um, big question marks around what was going to happen with scope three. And the SEC kind of also somewhat didn't come up with a perfect uh, answer about what would happen with scope three. Um, um, but otherwise, otherwise, kind of like, to be honest, pretty, pretty up to snuff, up to expectations. The devil's in the details of what happens next, right? So uh, it's, this is a proposal. So like, it's a proposed rule that needs to be finalized. And as we've seen, right, uh, a lot happens between proposal and getting it over the finish line. Right, because there's like a 60-day comment period I think we're in right now, right, for business community, et cetera, to weigh in? I think that's right. Yeah. Well, what was the name of the article you guys published, just to give a shout-out to, to your content so folks can find it pretty quickly? What what did you all title that oh, sure. particular newsletter? Thanks. Um, we're at the point where we published, we've published almost 100 of these, so I think that was issue <laughs> number 94. And knowing us, we probably published it, let's see, oh, yes, we published it, something quite catchy. SEC drops climate disclosures like it's hot. 
<laughs> okay. Right U.S. joined keep... 30 other countries in mandating company di- companies' disclosure missions. So, um, all right. Our so you got to go keep, keep them watching with some good emojis in there while covering dry topics like SEC financial disclosures. <laughs> keep, keep it spicy. Um, but yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, you know, especially the scope three missions. And correct me if I'm wrong, this is the one where it's not just the corporation. Now they have to go deeper into their supply base and, and actually see mm-hmm. what their supply base is doing. I did. I did think they were careful to put some safe harbor provisions because that that one's going to be really messy to really get into that level of granularity. But I think they set the stake in the ground of where they would like to go. So maybe then, as a sub question to this, um, it really regulations are one thing, and then real world implementation can often be a very different reality. Especially, you know, the topic of this discussion around industrials and these companies that are just getting on their digital transformation journeys let alone even using email and fax versus software sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So looking at these industrial companies that would be impacted and how hard it would be to start reporting all of these quantified disclosures as to how their operations mm-hmm. are affecting climate via emissions data, data that may actually have to be audited at some point, which is really probably scary to them in some regard. Um, I'll use a trucking industry regulatory analogy because it, it's fairly recent. It's kind of tied into this whole theme. Uh, we mentioned Remora earlier, an investment on your side. So the regulatory sentiment may have been directionally right for this piece of legislation, but the truckers and carriers themselves certainly were nowhere near prepared enough digitally to take on the 2016 regulation for the ELD mandate, or said differently, electronic logging devices, where they put an IoT sensor on the trucks to collect data, make the road safer, improve you know the grueling lifestyle lifestyles that truckers faced, et cetera. So leveraging that analogy back to the industrial corporations, I mean, honestly, how do you how do you think these potential climate disclosure rules are going to be adopted in practice, you know, given how far behind a lot of these industrial corporations are on their digital journeys? I just I'm curious, do you think if we we got a long runway ahead of us here? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, where there's a gap, then uh, entrepreneurs like to try and fill it. Right. So we've seen a massive right. upsurgence in software um, solutions for climate risk reporting and accounting as well. So there's, um, uh, you know, I think some of the darling companies that maybe listeners might have heard inklings of would be companies like Watershed. That's the latest and greatest climate unicorn. It took them less than two years to reach a private billion dollar valuation there. And they're helping at the moment, high growth tech companies with their, um, internal, you know, uh, complex accounting and management and purchasing habits to internally decarbonize and occasionally purchase carbon offsets to um, negate some of their emissions out. There's lots of, you know, where Watershed folks is on the Stripes and Co of the world, companies like Sinai Technologies, which we mentioned in the opener as well, are taking a different tact of working with the super complex multinational heavy emitting industrial players like the ArcelorMittals or Mitsubishi's, et cetera, of the world as, as general examples. Um, but then the real question is who works for the equally complex, but smaller, often more like SMB style folks. Um, and that's where the next generation, if you can call it the six months at this point of entrepreneur cohorts generations, but that's where the next generation of, uh, um, of quote, climate software accounting, you know, um, reporting founders are rushing into as we speak. So um, hoping to bring their 
skills from machine learning and AI to the messy world of carbon accounting. But um, you know, it it will it will remain messy. And the trickiness I think here is how can we make this an opportunity driver for you know, like you said, the the truckers or of the world rather than just another annoying regulation and additional kind of like potential wrap across the wrist as they're just trying to get their jobs done. So how can we how can we save money for them? How can we make their lives safer, happier, easier, rather than um, this being seen as just another reporting requirement? Um, and that's where, if this is done right, the beauty of uh, climate tech as an opportunity driver rather than just a risk mitigation avoidance um, comes into play. But we'll see how that hashes out. Yeah, well, you, you nailed it. It does have to be framed. How can we help these people like the truckers and the other skilled labor slash skilled heroes that made our world go round during COVID, right? We all owe them a continued mm -hmm. debt of gratitude for sure. And I absolutely loved your your lead in. So founders, if you're out there listening, where there's gaps, that that's, that's where the innovation comes. And my goodness, there's going to be some opportunity to build software to help bridge that gap. So it couldn't be in more lockstep with you on that one as well. Um, well, maybe then we'll, we'll wrap with our final question here, uh, kicking the discussion back to the investment side, more so around venture capital deals and dollars outlook specific to climate tech colliding with our world of industrial. So you put out some amazing content. I'm going to go on a little brag here, uh, ranging from sector-specific landscaping efforts like constructing the energy transition was one newsletter to giving financing strategy for how a climate-focused startup should fund itself in a, entitled the Climate Capital Stack, even to then outlining the macro investment pacing data in your newsletter, Climate Tech Investment Action Report. So all that content, could you share some of your data about the count of climate tech industrial companies you've seen that have gotten VC funding last year versus the amount of money that uh, you've seen deployed into them. And, and what are those trends that are sticking out in the data so far from, from what you're seeing? I love talking about this. So absolutely. Um, and if readers want to check out um, our start of year, end of year, most recent report where we tracked the 40 billion of venture capital dollars that were deployed into climate companies in just 2021. So wow, 40 billion. 40 bill into six, 40 bill with a B into 600. Throw some hot emojis on that deals. one. Yeah, mostly fire emoji, fire emoji, fire emoji. But uh -huh. uh, yes, 40 billion into 600 deals. And that was contributed by 1,400 quote climate curious investors. So, you know, whatever, that's being quite generous with the climate curious moniker. It basically means there were 1,400 unique investment shops that happen to participate in those 600 deals of which we track um, and uh, uh, report out and share a filterable, you know, for the founders list of about the top 200 climate investors, which you can also find through our resources it's called the running list of climate tech VCs that's made for you guys, the founders, so that you spend more of your time running your companies rather than trying to track down VCs that are, are you know, values aligned. Um, in any case, back to the 40 billion. So we split that out, you know, across those those seven sector verticals. Um, and some of the highlights here are just in that, you know, 2020 time period compared to the same period in 2020, asterisk, you know, weird year as we all felt personally and financially, uh, the investment dollars were double 
um, what was deployed in 2020. So massively up and to the right. And again, recovering management consultant here, I thought I had broken something when I made this chart and it spat out a steady 20% <laughs> sequentially quarter over quarter uh, uh, steady funding increase in 2021. So kind of some beautiful, beautiful charts there. Um, and what else, what else can I say? I mean, there are 70 new climate venture firms that were announced during 2021. So, so much more capital, so much more dry powder coming into the space from the mega shops, think the, you know, TPGs or something of the world spinning out new climate funds within their existing firm, massive firm structure to brand new GPs, like some of us that were in the operator cohort together, right, who are coming into investing with a new shop for the first time. And they're, these folks are often climate first. Um, I suppose, you know, I fall in that category of come at this from a passion and um, sectoral, you know, obsession perspective, and now bringing that enthusiasm to help founders build. So 70 new climate venture firms out there just last year. And back to the deals aspect, we saw that mobility sector maintained its you know pole position with the largest median deal size which was a 20 million dollar deal like median deal size and also with their proportion of total funding which was 40 percent of all climate venture funding in 2021 went to mobility deals um so uh you know pretty disproportionately weighted to mobility especially versus we put this analysis out um uh yesterday what today tuesday we put it out yesterday on monday um of comparing the ipcc's um what do they call it mitigation opportunity strategies uh from their latest working group three report with these like this burning embers chart of hey we need all of these strategies to reduce emissions asap um, and here are ones that are more expensive and of a different size. And within that, uh, mobility was listed. But if you look at the dollars deployed from our data into the greenhouse gas, you know, gigatons of CO2 equivalent per year um, emissions reduction potential, it's wildly overweighted dollars deployed into mobility versus greenhouse gas reduction potential versus, say, something that's uh, maybe less venture friendly, like um, ecosystem restoration is a good example, or even carbon dioxide removal and carbon capture. So always interesting to try and balance, not just being obsessed where the dollars are flowing, but where the, where the actual climate impact that we're hypothetically all after um, is actually coming from. So um, I said a lot, there's lots more to say, including in the industrial segment, which uh, has been underweighted you know versus the climate impact but if you're putting your rose tinted techno optimist glasses on um the carbon and the industrial segments although they made up you know a proportionally tiny five percent or so of the climate tech funding pie the dollars deployed into those sectors grew 10x for carbon and 8x for industrial respectively from you know, the, the second half of 2020 to the second half of 2021, which is significantly outpacing uh, other sectors. So again, well, more enthusiasm going into those hard to abate, hard to um, solve for segments. 
well, powerful. I mean, even to where you started with 40 billion deployed, the year over year, quarter over quarter metrics, 70 new funds that are going after this stuff. I, I know, you know, to your point about mobility, our last deal last year was a class four to six EV commercial fleet operator. So it's uh, it, fire emoji is all I could say, right? And to me, you know, <laughs> I've mentioned this before. We, uh, close with the Energized Ventures crew, and we've done an yeah. exit tracker before to understand how it's not just the deals going in. We've seen more liquidity, construction, manufacturing, logistics than ever before. Energy, uh, the SPAC, uh, SPAC ecosystem obviously helped some of that story, but all of that's recycling capital into funds and recycling, much more importantly, talent that knows how to scale with these mm -hmm. environments. So I think, Sophie, next time we chat uh, year over year data, it's only going to be more impressive. So how exciting. Uh, get, get in while the getting's good, I guess, per se. Um, so That's right. I never been a better time. Never been never, a better time to be a climate entrepreneur, right? <laughs> there we go. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, maybe to the point of uh, founders here, because at the end of the day, they are the uh, the center of the universe, and we are very fortunate just to support them as venture capitalists. So I, I agree with your sentiment there. Real quick, any words of wisdom for founders out there who are thinking about raising venture capital, maybe want an introduction to you? Real quick hitters, either you know, keys to success for that first pitch and or a common challenge or two to, to avoid as they uh, as they enter the discussion. Hmm, interesting. Um, uh, I like founders who are kind of like me coming at this almost from a missionary perspective of being drawn to create and dedicate themselves to the craziness of starting something, starting a company, starting a fund, because they can't sleep without, you know, knowing that they're the one person in the world that uh, has gone so deep on this particular um, angle of mitigating or being more resilient to, uh, to a climate opportunity that they're almost called to need to bring this entity into the world. Um, that's relatively general. So I, I, I want to be the first call, right? Um, these are folks that come from all walks of life, whether they're deep, deep in the lab and have <laughs> uh, only ever opened Excel for tracking, you know, whatever their titration and pipetting metrics, as opposed to opening it for a financial metric. Like I want to talk to you. I also want to talk to you if you've been uh, locked away in the halls of the Capitol building, working on some niche policy aspect. And now you recognize that maybe there's a way to accelerate this by connecting in some more financial metrics and building a business around it. Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I want to talk to you if you've been locked away in a corporate setting for a long time and trying to figure out how, how sales work within some of these complex like corporate purchasing cycles, I want to be the first call. Um, so we, there's no one climate entrepreneur. There's no one type of founder personality, just like we've talked about here. This is a, this is a theme, not an industry, and we need all hands on deck here, whether you're the you know, CEO, co-founder of a company, or you're the first hire, or you're the VP of Eng, or you're an amazing design person or financial modeler, or you're great at um, some deep technical uh, uh, scientific niche. We need all of you, um, and it's been massively inspiring to watch this absolute like flood isn't even the right word here, right? But just like mm -hmm. wave of phenomenal talent coming across all of those different channels that I listed before, wanting to dedicate themselves to 
working on climate and find their space within this. Um, that's a piece that gets me just so motivated and being able to plug folks in to kind of do their life's work while also making a massive financial return. So we're talking about an absolute revolution in transforming industry. Uh, and this time, you know, getting to align what you do for a living with maybe where your values are at. So um, we're here, we're here to be the first call. We're figuring stuff out too. As we go, we're, we're founders. We just happen to be building a financial institution, <laughs> right? So we're, we're here to do it with you and be pretty darn empathetic and, and open along the way as well. Love it. Well, you got me fired up, Sophie. So um, we'll we'll take that energy and and quickly segue into the uh, last part of the show. We always do some quick quick hitters, rapid fire Q and A. So if you're ready, we'll jump in. Oh man. Okay, let's do All it. Right. I'm drinking Here we some go. coffee. <laughs> what number one thing you look for when you're evaluating one of those early stage founders? I think I got a hint here. What's the first thing you look for? Oh, um, why you? Why now? Right on. What is one resource, could be a book, podcast, blog, uh, other than your amazing newsletter you'd recommend to audience to follow <laughs> in the ecosystem? Oh, so many. Um, I actually have an automated email that I just send out because I get asked this quite a lot and it's got, I don't know, 10 resources plus on it. But um, there's so many amazing podcasts out there, whether it's, you know, um, Catalyst with Shale Khan or um, uh, whether it's other amazing newsletters like, uh, gosh, Bloomberg New Energy Finances, um, Bloomberg Green Newsletter, or um, these Slack groups that are really active digital communities of folks trying to work on climate, like, you know, on the nose, but there's one called Work on Climate, um, with thousands of folks trying to shift into, um, into the climate space. I recommend going deep on all of those. There's really no barriers to entry here, and you'll find that climate folks are extremely welcoming. Awesome. Well, one person who should be on the podcast. Oh, do you have founders come on? Uh, you're foreshadowing what will happen in the not too distant future. <laughs> you can probably see my bias here, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, I would love to hear more from Maria, who's the CEO and co-founder of Sinai Technologies about how they're working with these heavy emitting multinational, really complex corporates to bring down their internal carbon footprints. I think that would be a fascinating one and pull in some some software solutions to to the mix as well. That or it's always a great time when Paul from Remora talks about what they're doing with their, you know, carbon capture devices on semi trucks. Love it. Both mission critical applications for sure. And then finally, Sophie, what's the best way for folks to reach out to you after the podcast? Thank you. Follow Climate Tech VC. It's, you know, our open source brains twice a week if you're into that stuff. Um, and you can subscribe for that through Substack. Um, and otherwise, uh, connect with me on on LinkedIn is a good way to go. So I don't hide. I'm Sophie Burdum <laughs> and <laughs> LinkedIn's my preferred social network these days <laughs> right on well such an important topic i mean all the stuff we covered is is just it's it is the discussion of the day so appreciate you coming on uh, bringing the climate tech vc brain trust here and uh, we'll have to have a follow-up as more of this data comes in because I, I think we're both in agreement the wave is just getting started so sophie thanks for making some time to come on thank you thank you excited for that climate industrial overlap to keep growing so thanks for having me